This is episode 12 of the Activate Podcast with Kevin Brown. My name is Eric English, and first off, I want to thank you for spending some time with me today. I was grateful to spend a few minutes with Kevin here recently in Orlando while he was in town giving a speech to a group of executives right here locally. So we did this interview in his hotel room, and I also had the pleasure of meeting his wonderful wife, Lisa. Kevin is the author of The Hero Effect, which is an inspiring story that led from some really cool events throughout his life, and that's also brought Kevin to some great opportunities on the stage, presenting to some special people throughout the world this story, the story of what a hero looks like. Kevin also comes with many years of experience um, in leadership in the corporate world, franchising business, and his definition of a hero, his take on a hero, his experience, I think will be eye-opening. I think it'll be inspiring and really how we have the choice to be heroes and what that looks like and how we were all created perfectly by God to show up and leave someone in a better state than perhaps we met them in. So I look forward to hearing your feedback on this one. And without further ado, let's get into the conversation. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us today on the Activate podcast. We're sitting here in the hotel room, the first time I've done this, and you know, it actually works out really well. It's quiet. It's quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, welcome. Welcome to Florida. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. We're at the Ritz-Carlton. I mean, there's worse places we could be doing this. Yes. I'm so blessed. Jeffrey Bunt Jr. introduced us. Yes. Great Uh, friend. Yeah. Jeffrey was on a past episode, so looking forward to our time together. How I'd like to start with each person... And I've only heard a highlight of yours, but just your origin story. Like, yeah. where? how did Kevin Brown end up to where he is today? Well, <laughs> quite by accident, really. Yeah. I, uh, there, there's a very, very long story. I'll, I'll, I'll tighten it up best I can. I, I'm a high school dropout. I didn't go to college. I grew up in a blue-collar home. I have great parents. And um, life took a hard left turn when I was a teenager. It, it got ugly for a while. I ended up homeless. Mm. for a period in my life and uh, by the time I was in my early 20s I lived in my car and wow. uh, found myself contemplating life what do I do where do I go do I really want to be here anymore and uh, literally uh, didn't know where I was going to go or what I was going to do and I met a guy who changed my life he's uh, he's one of the, the biggest heroes in my life and probably a catalyst to why I talk about heroes and uh, you know some 30 plus years later I had a great career in franchise development, a career that I never even imagined that I would get the opportunity to to have. And uh, here we are, Ritz-Carlton, 51 years old, just turned 51, uh, reinvented myself at 48, retired from a career that I loved very, very much, and embarked on this journey that, you know, God said, I need you to go do something else. That's awesome. And uh, it led to, to writing the book, The Hero Effect. We, uh, we speak all over the United States, around the world now. We did 160 events last year, and it's mm. just taken me places I'd never even dreamed of. Wow, that's awesome. Well, something that if you want to dive into a little bit more that 
that I really keyed in on was you're homeless for a period yeah. of time. Yeah. And you said there was someone that came along and intersected paths yeah. at that time. Tell yeah, us a little bit about you know, that. So from, from 13 to 16, life took a really, really, really hard left turn. You know, the uh, life got really hard. I was betrayed by some adults that I trusted very much. Life got complicated. I, I made matters worse by making some really poor choices associated with some really some really bad people. Mm. And uh, from 13 to 16, life got, got pretty ugly, and it just kept getting worse. Mm -hmm. Every time I tried to pull myself out of the ditch, I just couldn't quite get there, and mm -hmm. I was getting get pulled back down into the, the muck and, and all of the. And a lot of that was the byproduct of the people I was spending time with. The right. people I was spending time with, the people I was letting influence my mind, the mm -hmm. people that, that, that I was let you know, kind of direct my path. And uh, I was something broke. I, something I heard very wise from someone is, kind of what we try to tell our kids show us your friends yeah and i'll show you your future you got it you got it you know jim Rohn used to say we become the average of our five closest friends in mm -hmm. terms of income Powerful. and our health our happiness and, you know our our marriage and all of those things and who we hang around really sure. really does matter and at that point in my life i had burned every bridge in my life i had hurt a lot of people uh broken a lot of promises and um literally had worn out my welcome mm -hmm. anybody who had been willing to give me a spare room a couch a basement I had given up on me. I was dragging that 13-year-old kid everywhere I went. Oh, wow. And, um, and I think a lot, of, a lot of people in life do that. They reach into their past, they grab the worst of yesterday, and they drag it right to today. And they use it mm. as an excuse for not doing well. They use it as an excuse for, for not moving forward. In their right. Life, and they stay stuck, and I did too. Mm -hmm. And I was broke. I was desperate. I was in my early 20s. I needed money. And uh, I met a guy named David who taught me how to sell. That's okay. probably the greatest skill set I've ever been sure. given in my life, it, with the exception of what else he taught me. Not yeah. only did he teach me how to sell, which has been very good to me yeah. financially and professionally, but he taught me how to see. Mm. Um, you know, selling is one thing, but seeing is another. And by sure. seeing, I mean, he gave me the gift of optimism, right? He took he took the, the storyline that life had given me. He took that storyline and he said, son, that's not your, that, that's not your destiny. That doesn't mm. have to be your future. And I understand some ugly stuff happened to you. I understand you went down a, a bad path, but the past doesn't equal the future. Mm -hmm. Tony Robbins says that. The past doesn't equal the future. And David used to say the past is a place of reference, not a place of residence. Right. And over time, he dripped on me. And he started out as a boss. He became a friend and a mentor. He's, he's like he, he became like a second father to me. That's and awesome. over time, that 13-year-old kid faded away. Mm -hmm. And I latched onto this new vision. It's amazing what a compelling vision does for your life. Mm -hmm. But we have to have people who love us enough to hold us accountable to what can be, not what is. Right. Very blessed that you had somebody like that. Oh, yeah. By the time you did. Yeah. What did you sell? So What did I, he teach you so to sell? Franchises. <laughs> okay. Franchises. You know, yeah. early in my career, I had tried to sell other things and was a colossal failure at it and didn't really understand how to sell, but he really taught me how to sell franchises and to help people pursue the dream of business ownership. Right. And I got hooked on right. it. I got hooked on it, and it became a... a a career that I love very so much. So moving forward, you helped others yeah. realize their dreams. Absolutely. Yeah. And which is which is one of the truths of life, I think. The easiest way to get out of our own problems is to help somebody else Absolutely. solve theirs, help somebody else pursue their dreams. It's amazing how much energy that creates. And it makes you feel good. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. you can bridge that gap from where somebody is to, to someplace new, which that's kind of what I do now. Mm. You know, I think we're all in the business of moving people, regardless yeah. of what we do. If we can move people from where they are to someplace better, through the, the, the skills and the talents that we have and what yeah. we bring to the table, I think that's a pretty cool yeah. We share that role. common language, that love, which is love. That's right. And he spent that 30 seconds of time to, mm -hmm. you know, to build that relationship yeah. with you. And over time, that was very instrumental yeah. to where you are today. Yeah. Well, you just gave me a, a copy of The Hero Effect. Mm -hmm. So what was the idea behind The Hero Effect? And let's talk a little about the book. Yeah, so a decade ago, 
in the context of my corporate world, I was doing speaking inside the organization and out. And a friend of mine asked me if I would consider talking about what it means to be a hero. And I hadn't really ever thought about it yeah. up to that point in my speaking career, you know, as an executive talking head, mm-hmm. right? We did leadership, vision, communication, customer service, kinds of things we hear at every single conference we've ever been to, every business meeting. And he said, uh, you know, what if we talk about heroes? What it means to really be a hero in, in business and in life? Mm-hmm. And I had never thought about talking about heroes, but I said, yes, I would do it. And then panicked, you know, freaked out a little bit. Like, what do I know about being a hero? Sure. And I went to my wife, Lisa, who is an amazing human being. She inspires me. She's one of my heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll tell you about that a little bit. But she said, look, if you want to talk about heroes, just go stand in front of the mirror and start searching for all of the people who helped you become you. If, if, you're, if your image is the only image you see in the mirror, you're missing the picture completely, mm. she said. She said, you're not a self-made man. You didn't get here by yourself. The you're, wisdom behind us. Oh, right? my goodness. Our, our oh, man, I tell you what. She said, look, you're the sum total and the byproduct of every single person who's ever shown up in your life. Preachers, teachers, friends, family, coaches, strangers, people who showed up in your life, gave you something you didn't have on your own, mm. left you better than they found you. You want to talk about heroes, go, go start there. Mm-hmm. And I did. I went to the mirror and I stared at myself for an uncomfortable amount of time and it wasn't long before my image began to fade. I started to see the faces of all of the people who had influenced my life. And then I went to, a, to my yellow pad, and I had three months to get ready for this speech, yeah. right? And this yeah, would be yeah. in front of two, you know, 2,000 people. Mm-hmm. It was the biggest speech of my career at that point. And I wrote a question on this legal pad. It was, what does a hero look like? And from that day till now, my life has never been the same. I've asked thousands of people that question. And I heard every answer. In the beginning, I heard every answer, starting with our military men and women. You know, right. We can't have a conversation right. about heroes without honoring the gold standard. That's right. Right? That's right. They go to work for a very small amount of money to keep us safe, keep us free, allow us to pursue our dreams in the greatest nation on planet Earth, That's in right. my opinion. That's right. So we start there, and then I heard about first responders, mm-hmm. you know, the police, fire, EMTs. I heard about doctors and nurses, the healers who put us back together when we're broken. I heard about the world changers, Mandela, Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa. Mm-hmm. I heard about moms and dads, teachers, coaches. I heard all of these categories of heroes. People talked about great companies. They talked about Southwest Airlines, Ritz-Carlton, right. Apple, Zappos, Disney. They talked about those companies that we pull out of the pile and we say, man, when they show up to do what they do, they do it different than everybody else. Yeah. They may have competition, but we don't recognize them because when they do what they do, they're in a league all by themselves. Mm-hmm. They talked about sports heroes, of course. They talked about you know Peyton Manning, yeah. Michael Jordan, LeBron James. They talked about Tom Brady a little more than I wish they talked about <laughs> Tom Brady. But but you know what? He's, he's a champion. One, he's one of those, yeah. right? He's he a, he's a winner. He's he a is. champion. It's those once in a generation players who come along when they step onto the field when they walk onto the court. They play at a level most people don't even aspire to. Mm-hmm. And there was an interesting through line. Every single person I've ever asked a question, "What does a hero look like?" Without exception, 100% of the time, they will say these words. Heroes are ordinary people who do extraordinary things. Mm. Eric, the first time I heard it, I wrote it down, circled it, underlined it, thought, yep, that's exactly what a hero is. Yeah. That's after, what we've heard forever. It's how we've been conditioned. Yeah. yeah. But I have to tell you, after a hundred times or so, maybe a couple hundred times of hearing that, something just started to stir in me going, is that, is that all there is? is I mean, is that really... Is that really how this works? Mm-hmm. I mean, is it just, is it really that random? Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And I felt a tap on the shoulder that said, that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. That's not how it works. And this is what I got. And this is what changed everything. I really think this is why the message resonates. You see, if you buy into this idea, ordinary people doing extraordinary things, you have to first convince yourself that you're ordinary in the first place. Right. And I don't right. think, I don't think our creator put us here to be ordinary. None of us. Right. right. Created in the image of perfection. 
talents, gifts, and abilities as unique as our fingerprints. But somewhere along the line, we get conditioned to believe that we're ordinary. Mm -hmm. I mean, the truth of the matter is, there were, you know, science tells us there were 100 million applicants for the job of being you. And I don't ever remember what age it is, but at, at some point, you see it happen. I, I told you when we started, you go, I've got a six-year-old and an 11-year-old yeah. yeah. in their minds and what they dream of and the ideas they have right. between our six-year-old and 11-year-old just by the way in which the world, the classroom conditions us. That's it's right. like, no, you can't. You can't dream like that anymore. This is where right. you live. And, you know, if you're not careful, if you're not speaking those things mm -hmm. into them, like, yeah, no, you can do this. Yeah. You know, you're, you're more than ordinary. Yeah. Well, think and about, they can be conditioned that way. Think about when, when I was a kid, probably when you were a kid, too. When I was a kid, I lived for the day when somebody in our neighborhood would buy a washer or dryer because we wanted the box. Yeah. Oh, why, yeah. Why did we want the yeah. box? It wasn't a box. No. It was anything but a box and everything that Ford, we could. It was a barricade or something. That's right. If we got lucky, somebody would buy a refrigerator. Yeah. Right? Now we had a time oh, machine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'd stay in that box all day. Let it take us places limited only by our imagination. Not even the sky was the limit. And then we grow up, and in business, we start talking about the box. This box that's so terrible. That's not negative, so right? vile <laughs> that we have to think outside the box. Yeah. And the game is played in the box. Yeah. And what I learned on this journey is that, you know, the box in business is just the rules of the game. Mm -hmm. Right? It's the policies, programs, procedures, and yeah. the people that make up your world and mine. And we have a box in every area of our life. We have a home box, kid box, spouse box, friend box. It's just the rules of engagement. Yeah. And what I got on this journey of a decade, probably through four or five years into it, was that we've had it backwards. Mm -hmm. See, the reason we stop in our tracks and admire certain people is because they never outgrew this ability to decorate the box. Right. Right. When Michael Jordan showed up, his box looked like a basketball court. Mm -hmm. And when he showed up, he wasn't limited. He wasn't confined by the right. rules of the NBA. Yep. He wasn't confined by this box. He decorated the box. Mm -hmm. He showed up and delivered more. He delivered those talents, gifts, and abilities that That's only right. he has That's arranged right. in the order that it was given to him. And he gave us more than we ever bargained for. That's why we stop in our tracks. We shell out our dollars, our hard-earned money. We give mm -hmm. them our time, our affection, our loyalty. And we shower them with praise, and we give them grace. We do this in business all the time. Every mm -hmm. company I do business with doesn't get it right 100% of the time. Southwest Airlines, I love them. I love them. Yeah. I, I give them a lot of my money. But the truth of the matter is sometimes they miss the mark. Sometimes they drop the ball. But yeah. you know what? I feel like I have a connection with them. Because they've so, done it right so many times. So I forgive right. them. Mm -hmm. right? I feel like I have this relationship. And uh, Delta Airlines is another one. I I fly so much that, I, that I've gotten to know both of them right. really, really right, well. Right. And right, Ritz Carlton. You know, we don't always get it right, but when we drop the ball... If people feel like they know our heart, mm -hmm. and it's interesting about the box. I had a friend of mine tell me recently, he said, you know, back in the day, we lived in a black box. And the only thing that people could see was what we put on the outside of the box, organizationally and personally. We mm -hmm. could put whatever we wanted out there, our mission, our vision, our purpose. We could color it any way yeah. we wanted to, to make the world at large think that that's who we were on the inside. And today, in the age of social media, we live, in, we live in a glass yeah. box. That's right. It's a glass box, and now people are looking through the walls to make sure that what you're putting on the outside of the box is consistent with what's living on the inside that's of the right. box. Oh, that's and right. that's a really powerful thing because that's, that's what we look for in the people we do business with. The reason I give Southwest grace when I don't get to where I need to be on time, mm -hmm. because I know their heart. Mm -hmm. I've spent time with that company. I've been on the interior of their organization. I've met Gary Kelly. I know how they think and act, mm -hmm. and it changes everything. Yeah. Right? Because now I'm doing business with and Now I have a connection, not just conditions. Most of us do business with conditions. Right. I'll do this right. for you. You do this for me. It's the letter of the law, the contract. Mm -hmm. The great ones reach beyond the conditions. Yeah, the true relationships. Make connections. And when you make connections, ball game. Mm -hmm. And what I've learned, Eric, what, what changed this for me was we, I learned we had it wrong. 
This is what God gave me. He said, it's not ordinary people doing extraordinary things. It's just the opposite. You were born extraordinary. Heroes are extraordinary people who choose not to be ordinary. They show up with the best version of them, themselves. Right. They show up with their talents, gifts, and abilities, their superpowers, their superhumanness, if you will, mm -hmm. and they pour that into the people that are in this moment, which is the one thing most of us miss. Yeah. Right? We're dragging around the worst of yesterday. Le leaving that behind. We're praying for the best right. of tomorrow, and we miss this space right here and everybody in mm -hmm. it. And this is all we've got in the first place. Without and all the baggage dragged to the right. And it, cha it yeah. changed everything right. for me. Extraordinary people choosing not to be ordinary. It changed everything. The hero effect, hero is an acronym. Mm -hmm. So the, the first principle of the hero effect is heroes help people. And on the surface, people are like, wow, dude, I hope you've got more than that, because that's pretty basic. I mean, we all understand that being helpful, being a good servant is good for business. But the problem is most people are only willing to be helpful to the extent that there's a return on investment. Mm -hmm. And what I've learned of the great ones there's a dot, dot, dot to this idea of being a good servant. There's right. heroes help people, dot, 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 with no strings attached. And it's the no strings attached part mm -hmm. that we have trouble with. The unconditionally. Right. Our That's humanness right. gets in the way. That's right? right. We like the rules of the game. What do I have to do to satisfy this relationship? And heroes are they're dot, dot, dot masters. <laughs> you know. And then the second thing is the E. Heroes create an exceptional experience for the people in their life at work and at home. Yeah. They show up big. They show up big every single time, whether it's at the dinner table or the conference room table, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. They show up and they own this space right here. Rabbi Shmuley said, you are no hero if the people who mean the most to you think the least of you. I want to go some more with that. Yeah, let's do it. The present. Mm -hmm. And that's something I've really, that's something I, I feel like for me the last 12 months, I've really, um, God's been speaking that to mm -hmm. me about being present. Mm -hmm. And it's not so much that the kids are going to look back and say, Dad spent a half hour with me throwing the baseball last night or whatever it is you're doing. It's going to be that Dad did that. And right. when he did that, he was present. That's right. He wasn't checking emails. He wasn't, right. you know, he wasn't distracted. So having the mindset to where you, you finish at the office or you, you finish your meeting and you head home and you completely set that aside, whatever that, in that breaking point, okay, I'm breaking from here and now I'm going to be present with my right. family, but present, we're not, that's a, if you look around, two glances, you know, to your right or left in the restaurant, yeah. nobody's present no. anymore. No. no, and think about, think about, if you want, if you want to leave a mark on this planet, think about this for a second. You can't do it. The past is already gone. Most of us are thinking about everything that happened yesterday. We're thinking about what might happen tomorrow, which is no guarantee. I mean, I flew 300,000 miles. Depression and anxiety, year. right? You got it. You got it. Yeah. I mean, there's no guarantees. And... If I don't own this space right here and the people in it, right? If I'm if I'm d distracted by something, then I have to question: Is this my priority? Why Why am I in this moment if I'm distracted and thinking about a different moment? Right. Right. What can I leave in this moment? And I I, I equate it to reputation. So. Heroes care a great deal about their reputation. They care about how they show up. They care about how they look, how they language. And, mm -hmm. You know, I live in airports, and I'm convinced, Eric, that 50% of the world's population do not have mirrors yeah. in their homes. You have a good time in the airport, don't you? I do. I, I am a people watcher, man. And it's fascinating to me how many people show up for life not prepared for life. Yeah. They show up packaged in a way that doesn't say I'm here to serve. I'm not here to, you know, to do anything extraordinary. I'm just, I'm just trying to survive. I'm just trying to get through the day. And then, then if you listen to them, their languaging is, it's negative. It's depressing. It's, right. it's not serving right. of anyone, not even themselves. Mm -hmm. And I just, it, it, it really is sad to me mm -hmm. because we're either living in the past or projecting into the future. And we miss the only thing that we have to influence anyway, reputation.
you know, I say it's that thing that goes before us and announces yeah. our arrival, yeah. and it lingers long after we leave. Mm-hmm. The question is, what lingers after we leave? You know, if we leave this exchange, I mean, you and I are sitting here in a hotel room, and we're looking at each other having a conversation. Mm-hmm. N- neither one of us are using our thumbs on a screen right. to do anything. Right. Right. How many conversations do you have where people are on their phones, and they constantly keep saying, I'm sorry, what you say? I hate, Eric, let me finish this real quick. Okay. Instead of just being here, yeah. right? Because whether I'm on stage, whether I'm in the air, whether I'm in, in an interview like mm. this, I know my phone's blowing up. Yeah. It's always blowing up. That's sure. the world we live in. Mm-hmm. But a disciplined mind says, I'm going to be right here. Because, if see, I believe that God doesn't give us next unless we master now. Mm. Now always leads to next. Mm. But most people live in next. I'm only in this job until the next thing comes along. I'm just biding my time until I get mm. discovered. If you don't own this mm-hmm. to a level that nobody else could even hold you to, next never comes. So another way, hearers are focused. Yeah. And that's oftentimes a separator in success, how focused. Absolutely. Can you can you remain focused long right. enough to reach success? That's right. And you think about it, technology. I mean, the last 10 years in business has all been about technology, right? How do we embrace technology? How do we use technology? Technology is vitally important to making business faster simpler for the people that we serve, allows us to transact more business, but technology should never replace relationships. Mm -hmm. It should only be a support to them. That's right. It should only be something that makes them easier, Mm -hmm. right? We, I think it was Einstein that said, and there's some, some question as to whether or not he really said it, but I like the quote. Einstein said, when technology surpasses human interaction, we will have a generation of idiots, (laughs) right? Yeah. And I, you know, I've had yeah. people challenge me. They're like, oh, I went to Snopes, and they said that he didn't say it. I don't care who said it. If he didn't say it, then I'll take credit it's for fitting. it. Yeah, it means something, it right? Yeah. When technology surpasses human interaction, we are human beings, and we crave human connection. Mm-hmm. We crave human contact. We crave relationship. And so many people want to hide behind their thumbs. They want to hide behind a text or an email or a phone call. And we do need to connect at the cellular level, not yeah. the phone, the heart. Yeah, that's right. And when you have those kinds of relationships, ball game, ball game. So let's let's. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about when you are preparing for, either you know a couple of weeks out or as you're getting ready to go on stage. Uh, I heard you kind of mention something around this on your your film that's on your mm-hmm. website, mm-hmm. Uh, the short film that you have that kind of dives into the Louisville mm-hmm. uh, speaking engagement that you had, but. I thought of right away, one of the things I wrote down was empathy mm-hmm. and how you approach. You've got this framework mm-hmm. that you've developed around the hero effect, mm-hmm. but each crowd that you get in front of, it, yeah. it's not a, a canned speech that you give. It's not the same one over and over, but you, you come at it with, and yeah. what, I've, what I viewed it is empathy. Yeah. So talk to me about that. It's like, a really good word. I never really thought about it like that. I, I think you have to prepare. You know, it's like my wife asked me the other day, and I've... I've been in front of thousands, you know, probably 100,000 people last year alone. And she said, do you think you'll ever stop being nervous? Because I get nervous every single time I take the stage. I don't care if I'm getting in front of 50 people or 5,000 people. I get really nervous. And I read recently, George Burns threw up before every performance. So I think I'm in, in pretty good company. But Trump, I, I, Trump did all the time, too. Yeah. He first started yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know who hasn't, you know. Well, she said, do you think you'll ever not be nervous? And I said, man, I, I hope I hope that never goes away. Because I think if you're nervous, it means it's still about the audience and not about me. Mm-hmm. See, too many people get so comfortable and so they start buying their own press. 
They start, ego starts to creep into what they're doing. And if you, if you walk out in front of people, I don't care if it's a sales call. I don't care if it's with your spouse. I don't care if it's with your kids. I don't care if it's with an audience of 10,000 people in an arena. If you walk out there and you, you think, I got this, you know, hey, if y'all just, if y'all could just be a little bit more like me, the world would be a better place. Right. And I know speakers like this. Right. Then it, now it's about me. Mm. And I love what Keith Harrell used to say about ego. He said, yeah, it stands for edging God out. Wow. And when we edge God out of our life, that means now we think we're all that in mm. a bag of chips. And I think the nerves mean that it's still about my audience. I care about the people in that room. That's why I dress the way that I dress when I show up out of respect for that room. And that respect translates to the empathy that you're talking about because I'm going to do my homework. Mm-hmm. Never given the same speech twice. The core framework of the hero effect is what it is. But my work, my, my commitment to the client is to do the work to find out who they are. Yeah. Challenges are they dealing with? What's in their way of getting to the next level? How can I infuse their values, mm-hmm. their mission, their people into the hero effect? And I tell people I'm a professional post-it note. That's it. <laughs> yeah, right? Right, right? There's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. Right? There's nothing. I mean, the principle has been around for 2,000 years. Yeah. This is nothing new. This is about reminding people of what they know and helping them remember. That's why I use humor. I use stories. I don't use PowerPoint. It's just me and a microphone for 75 minutes, taking people on this roller coaster ride to remind them of what's important in their life, Mm -hmm. what really separates the great ones from everybody else. You know, you can hold your your finger and your your, your forefinger and your thumb about half an inch apart. Mm -hmm. That's all the further the extra mile is. And the truth is most people aren't willing to go that far. The extra mile doesn't take much. It just takes a little bit of intentionality. It's like random acts of kindness. Mm -hmm. I had someone challenge me recently on social media about that because I write about, I don't believe in random acts of kindness. And they're like, well, how can you not believe in random acts of kindness? Because if they're random, then that's the problem. Mm -hmm. Acts of kindness should garner our utmost intention. It should never be random. Right. But yet we go through life. When do random acts of kindness occur? Usually when everything's going well for us. I mean, it's easy to be kind when you're on top of the world. You know, when all of your bills are paid, when things are going your way, you just got a promotion. It's easy. Mm. But when the yogurt hits the fan, when things aren't going well, you got to dig deep to be kind to somebody else. Yeah, it's a big deal. When you said nervousness, I I had no idea you were going to go there because our son just gave a speech in front of his entire fifth grade class. Uh, they had a they had a contest. Yeah. So proud of him. They, so the, each fifth grade class gave a, a speech in front of their class, mm-hmm. and then the winner of their class got to go on to the fifth grade and present. It was kind of there's like six of them that won. So he was one of the ones that yeah. won his class, and he said, "I'm so nervous." He said, "I don't want to give this." <laughs> and I've been minding, like you said, that anytime I do that, that I'm I'm nervous too. Right. And he plays sports, so I attributed that. I said, "That's just like your." You know, I don't even think of what you're telling me, but mm-hmm. I. I prepped him that it's normal that's right those things are, are are normal and like you know that's like you're getting ready for a sporting event or what have you but i'm, I'm so glad you went there that it's also that it's yeah. also the the reminder that it's not about us it's yeah. about the people that we're here to serve it's important right it's important i have a friend of mine who played professional football ben utech he won the super bowl 2006 catching passes from peyton yeah. manning and he said when they were in the super bowls in the Super Bowl 2006 against the Bears, he said, he, you know, everybody's on the sideline, and one of the veterans on the team came up to him, and, he, and they said, don't blink, because mm-hmm. it's going to be over in an instant. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, it didn't matter if it was Tony Dungy, Peyton Manning, 
people had been there before, everybody was so amped up and nervous. And, you know, of course, the opening kickoff in that game, Devin Hester for the Bears ran it 97 yards back, 99 yards, whatever it was, yeah. scored a touchdown on the opening play. Yeah. And it was like that, that everybody relaxed mm-hmm. and everybody went to work. Everybody got focused, yeah. you know. And so it's channeling those nerves. It's mm-hmm. saying, you know, where do I put this energy? This is what we've prepared for. This is what we've, we've trained for. Now we have to stand and deliver. Mm-hmm. And I think the nerves are, are part of the fuel that allows us to stand there and just let yeah. that pour out. That's a good point. I'm so glad you brought that up. Uh, so the framework, you've got the framework of the here effect in each one of these. The other thing you shared with me that I thought was, I thought was special was your son. Mm-hmm. So talk to us a little bit about that and how that is, has maybe shaped some of the conversations you've had with people, how you've inspired people yeah. along the way. Because I think that's... I think that's a big deal. Yeah, my, my son, his name's Josh. In fact, if you ask him, he'll tell you his name's Josh Brown. He thinks it's hyphenated all one word. And, uh, when Josh was, uh, was, was little, you know, around three years old, we knew he, his speech and his language wasn't developing. And, you know, we suspected that something was going on, but like a lot of young parents, we ignored it. Um, you know, we were in a little bit of denial. We, we kind of knew what might be happening, but we weren't ready to say the word autism. Mm-hmm. And at five, Vanderbilt, University uh, gave him a formal diagnosis, and I've had a, I've had the privilege of for the, he's he turns 21 next week, and I've had the privilege for the last 16, 17 years of watching my wife um, work miracles with this boy. Mm. You know, they told us we sat in a conference room when he was five years old. Doctors on one side, teachers on the other. Doctors said, "Look, he has autism. It's going to be a steep climb. You need to prepare yourself." You know, the teardrops started to flow. I could see them hitting the. the the papers in Lisa's lap, I became angry. Mm-hmm. They said, you know, he's uneducable in many ways. He's not going to learn like the other kids. He probably won't graduate high school. If he does, he'll get a special education diploma. Mm-hmm. You know, there'll be an asterisk by his name. Yeah. And I became angry, you mm-hmm. know, mainly because as a dad, and I'm embarrassed to say this really, I started thinking about everything he wasn't going to do. Mm-hmm. I started thinking, you know, he wasn't going to be the star little league shortstop. He wasn't going Think, to be... Things that we would all think but not say. The life that I wanted to vicariously live through him had just vanished. He wasn't going to be the star quarterback and captain of the high school football team. Mm-hmm. And while I was sitting over here having a pity party of one, I looked back at Lisa and the teardrops were gone. And this look of determination swept over her face. And she did what leaders do. She took the storyline that life gave us and she started to rewrite it. She told Josh, cover your ears. She said, that's not where we're going. Maybe that's not your destiny. Mm-hmm. And she, yes, I heard him. I heard what the doctor said, son. That's not where we're going. You keep your eyes on your mom. And, you know, thankfully God gives moms a little more than, than dads. Absolutely. They are natural born leaders with natural born vision, especially when it comes to their baby. She sees that kid not as he is, but as he can be. Mm-hmm. And she went to work and I've had a front row seat for the last 16 plus years watching her with this different vision and a compelling vision automatically begins to attract the resources. Mm-hmm. And I watched as teachers and tutors and mentors and people float in and out of this kid's life for the last 16 years. And in May of 2016, we sat in a school gymnasium and watched 300 kids come in wearing their cap and gowns. And we were only looking for one. Yeah. And we saw him. Yeah. Walked in, six feet tall, his cap was crooked, we knew he was ours. And he walked in and he found his seat. And before he sat down, he found his mom and dad and he gave us a nod. And they started calling names. 300 names were called. We heard one name the whole night, Joshua oh, Douglas Brown. Awesome. And when that kid stood up, you know, literally a chill ran down my spine. Mm-hmm. His kid stood up and his shoulders went back and his chin went up. And Halfway to the stage, he grabbed the honors cords that were draped around his neck. And he walked to that stage tall and proud, graduated with honors. He got his diploma and he walked off that stage. And, 
it reminded me of something my father told me when I was a boy. He said, you know what, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks, all that matters is what you believe. Mm -hmm. Doctors didn't think he could learn, teachers didn't think he could graduate, much less with honors. Mm -hmm. But they underestimated what he believed. And he believed what he believed because a leader with the title of mother decided to get down in the ditch and help him dig out a better version of himself. Mm -hmm. You know, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Sure. Most people aren't willing to get down there and do it. You know, they weren't there for the late night study sessions. They weren't there when mother and son could not stand to be in the same room together. Yeah. They weren't there when my boy put his head in his hands and said, why doesn't my brain work? Mm. And his mother leaned down and said, baby, your brain's just fine. It takes a little more work to be special. Mm. And from that day till now, I mean, that, that boy still, he continues to teach me. You know, with autism, there's no context. There's no innuendo. There's no subplot. It's direct communication. Literal. Say what you mean, mean what you yeah. say. Yeah. And, you know, sarcasm. You know, I have a, a pretty dry sense of humor. Sometimes <laughs> I'll say things off the cuff and he, right. he'll simply look at me and say, Dad, I don't know what you mean. Mm-hmm. And it teaches me to be really focused. And we don't communicate clearly in our world today. Right. right. Watching the two of them work taught me, you know, and having known my own story, mm-hmm. just reinforcing it. doesn't matter where you start. Mm-hmm. You can get there from here. You know, he's in college now. He wants to be a meteorologist. And, um, you know, not even the sky's the limit for that kid. Yeah. And we continue to learn from him every single day. Making a decision, right? Yeah. To move forward. And be resolute. Mm-hmm. This kid's been resolute. He's wanted to be a meteorologist since he was old enough to know what a cloud is. And be resolute. Mm-hmm. And go after it. The power of a vision, right? You know, when we were kids, go back to the box yeah. metaphor. Right, right. When we were kids, we went out there and we turned that box into a spaceship, race car, army fort. There was no committee. There was no <laughs> yeah. voting. You just hopped in and got We didn't work. have a, yeah. you know, 12-inch binder with a strategic plan <laughs> in it. All we had was a compelling vision. That's right. And we went about the business of bringing it forth. And I think so many people, and I'm not, I'm not bashing strategy. Strategy is important. But in the absence of a compelling vision, no strategy can save you. Mm-hmm. You know, vision, philosophy, they eat strategy for lunch. You know, I... And I'm a firm believer that if you have a compelling vision and you get up every single day and you move toward it, your plan doesn't need to be on more than one page. So I've always said it's about taking action. Most people think they need to know all the steps before they'll take the next one. And all you need to know is the next one. Because you can make your plan and right out of the gate, it can go, you know, it can go by the wayside, right? Because after you implement the first step. Conditions develop. That's things right. happen. The economy changes. More competition. You lose your best employee. All these things can happen. Well, there goes your plan, mm. right? So you, you don't have to know all the steps. You just have to know the next one. But what matters more, in my opinion, is that vision. Mm-hmm. You know, I read something. There was a white paper one time on Michael Jordan. It was actually written by Michael Jordan, if I recall. He never had written goals. He had a vision. And he got up every single day and he went to work mm-hmm. on creating that vision. And he has a line that came out of that that said, I was always aware of my success, mm-hmm. but I never let it keep me from getting better. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think that's how the great ones become the great oh, ones. Yes. There's an unrest. There's an unrest with where I am. Mm-hmm. Even if I'm at the top of the mountain, there's an unrest that, you know, there is no staying the same. Mm-hmm. You're either moving forward or you're sliding backwards. That's right. And a lot of people, they get to a certain place in life and business and they stop. You know, I've got enough. Mm. Well, I understand the theory behind that, but there's no staying the same. Mm. So if you stop, by, by default, you begin to move backwards. You stop growing. That's and you right. can't give what you don't have. If you're not continually putting stuff in, in your mind and in your heart, you have nothing to give the people 
who are looking to you for leadership, whether it's your children, your colleagues, your spouse, your friends, stranger on the street. Yeah. People are looking, they're looking That's for something. Right. And if you're not, if you're not sharpening the saw, if you're not mm-hmm. getting better, you know, they've been gone. People around it better either. Well, thank you so much for sharing that about yeah, Joshua. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I think that so much of it is is taking action, and I and I always, you know, tip my hat to Zig Ziglar. Yeah, absolutely. You don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. That's exactly right. You know, I just I love that. That's exactly right. Because that's where you get bogged down in planning and strategy and and the other things that kind of keep us at this this stage in life but no, just decide that's yeah. it make the decision and, and go and Zig Zig's one of my greatest heroes of all time oh you know, absolutely Zig Ziglar Les Brown you know Jim Rohn those guys in fact I had people when I started on this journey of speaking you know, I classify myself as a motivational speaker and I had well-meaning advisors who don't call yourself a motivational speaker be, be a thought leader be, be an expert be the, like I'm a motivational speaker mm-hmm. that's what I do you can classify me any way you want to but I'm a motivational speaker, and I'm right. proud to do it. Right, right. That's because right. we all need that. We do. Right, we do. The, the mindset game is that's so much of it. We're talking about that when we can. Yeah. I have people all the time say, "Can you just call me every morning? That'd be great if you could just call yeah, me. Every yeah. yeah, pull me up, pull me up." <laughs> well, you know, talk about uh, if you would. Uh, we can call you know your your speaking gigs now and everything like that. You're you're on this somewhat entrepreneurial path. Yeah. So looking back to corporate America. Your days at Surf Pro. What do you look back to now and tip your hat to and, and appreciate from that? That's kind of whether it's been a platform you're on now or, or something that's taught you to be able to help these other leaders that are either growing in an organization or they're leading in an organization. What What do you took and look back on right now? You know, I, well, I look back at my days at Surf Pro with great fondness because I was blessed to be around some really great leaders that poured into me. You know, took a chance on this kid that didn't have a pedigree that that amounted to much of anything right. and um, poured themselves into me. And in fact, it was it was my boss, Rick, who, who saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And it was this, this gift of, of words, this ability to, to fashion together a story and mm-hmm. to, you know, lace it with humor and draw people in with a narrative that, that could in- impact people. And he saw it long before I did. Never in a million years. I had two biggest fears in my life of flying and speaking in front of people. <laughs> I mean, and you do that all the time. Three hundred thousand miles last year, and I'm like, I am proof that God has a sense of humor. Yeah. And it was, but it was, it was, it was my boss. He, he pushed me. I say my boss. I laugh as I say that he's my friend, and he, he pushed me on stage, and he said, I need you to do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went out in front of you know a thousand people. John Maxwell, the great John Maxwell, was our keynote sure. speaker there. He's in the front row staring at me, and my boss sends me out there, and he says, I just need you to do 15 minutes, be funny, and don't mess it up. Right, right. <laughs> and, uh, but something clicked and um, set me on a path. And, you know, as much as it was, it was so bittersweet to leave, one of the lessons that I took away because they supported and they encouraged me, mm-hmm. even though they could have been selfish and said, wait a minute, you know, we really want you to stay here. Sure. We want your, you know, you're part of our succession plan or you're, you're part of the future. We really need you to be here. They were not afraid to continue to push me higher, even if that meant having to leave. And they'll, they'll always be family to me. They'll always be an important part of my life. And, and I think as leaders sometimes, and I see it more with managers than leaders, sometimes we want to hold our best people down just a little bit mm-hmm. because we need them to fill the role that serves us. Mm-hmm. Instead right. of pouring as much as we can into them, and if they rise above us, let them go. 
let them rise because you know what the truth of the matter is we'll be rewarded for the business that we do we'll be we'll be respected for how we build a business but we're only going to be remembered for the people we build period that's it that's right right nobody i've not seen a gravestone yet where had somebody's net worth on it kind of house they had kind of car they were driving when they died mm-hmm. right what gets written on the stone what summarizes their life is the impact they made on people when i lost my granddad a couple of years ago mm-hmm. that was like a a big switch yeah we were buddies he might as well have been another dad to me right great relationship with my dad but he he taught me so much and when we were sitting in the service just the amount of different people that were there that weren't family just different people everything mm-hmm. from the the inmates he ministered to yeah. uh, in prison uh, the people he was connected to it was just proof of that yeah proof of that fingerprints end up all over the, yeah. the lives yeah. of the people that intersect with ours if yeah. if we own this space right here called now yeah right we can't let this moment go without pouring into the people that are in front of us right and it's so you know Trust me, it's not easy. I'm not sitting here saying I have it figured out, mm-hmm. but I know, I know what I'm striving for. I know what I aspire to, and it's to be less distracted and more present, mm-hmm. less concerned about yesterday and tomorrow, and more focused on the connection connection that I have with the people around right. me right now. Because right. that's it. I don't care if it's an Uber driver. I don't mm-hmm. care if it's a flight attendant. I don't care if it's a front desk clerk in a hotel. I don't care. They are, it's an, it's this human connection. Mm-hmm. It's this human condition. And it's amazing, you know, I, I saw there Oprah, Oprah, when she retired from her show to start a network, you know, like she needed to start a network because <laughs> exactly. she needed more money, exactly. apparently. They sat her down, they asked her, and she has, has also reiterated this in a commencement speech that I heard. She said she interviewed 35,000 people in the course of her career on the Oprah show. And she was asked, did you notice anything that they all had in common? And without batting an eyelash, she said, yes, everybody I've ever known, rich, famous, known or unknown, from Bush to Obama to Beyonce and all of her Beyonce ness, they were all seeking validation. Mm. She said when the cameras went off and the lights were turned off, she said they all leaned over without exception. The leaders of the free world to the best of the best in entertainment, they all leaned over and said, how did I do? Mm. Did I do okay? They wanted to know that they had shined in Oprah's moment. And she, then she attached three questions. She said, everybody I've ever known in my whole life, they were silently asking three questions. Do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say even matter to you at all? Mm-hmm. And I would contend that everybody in your life and mine, strangers, friends, yeah, family, family they're all asking the same three same questions. Thing. Do you see me? Mm-hmm. Do you hear me? Does what I say even matter? Or am I just noise in an already noisy world? Am I something you've got to check right. off your list to feel good about your day? Yeah. It's a powerful, it's a powerful thought yeah, to is. know that everybody coming at you, they have those three questions written on their forehead mm-hmm. to say, do you really see me? You see me for my, yeah. I mean, it's amazing to me. You know, we talked about technology earlier and technology being so important, but the pendulum swung way over there and now I see it coming back because right. I have yeah. clients tell me, can you come in and talk about interpersonal skills? <laughs> Can right. you talk about body language and eye contact? Sure. Can you talk about a handshake? Can you talk? And it's it's interesting to me because I think we're recognizing that the pendulum swung so far that the tools and the and the technology designed to help us transact business, mm-hmm. we still need transformational moments, and those only come human to human. That's right. Right. You can't transform this moment through technology. You can transform this moment through human connection mm-hmm. by being interested, by seeing people, and hearing That's them, right. and letting them know that yeah. they matter. 
Good stuff, man. Faith. Faith. Yeah. Right. So taking this fear of public speaking, applying to where you are today, was it an easy decision? No. It was a bold decision? Yeah. And you felt this nudge. Mm -hmm. How did faith play into where you are now? And and, uh, did you listen right away? No. What, you know, is it walking? (laughs) What does each day look like now? Well, in in, in total, total transparency, you know, we we have a very compelling vision for our business, and that's to move move people to move mountains, and that starts with self. And a lot of mountains that I had to get over, I struggle with unworthiness. You know, knowing my past, knowing where I came mm-hmm. from, uh, knowing my pedigree. You know, one of the questions I had for a long time that suppressed me from really pursuing this was, why me? I don't have anything to say about that. Why would anybody listen to me? Mm-hmm. And uh, the only answer that I ever get back is, you know, did you see the 12 that I hung around with? <laughs> they, they were a pretty messed up group. That's the only answer I get from God. He's like, you know, hey, did you see the 12? I mean, they were pretty messed up. That, well, that's spot on. Right? That is spot on. And, um, but I still struggled with it. Uh, in fact, I'm reading a book right now called Unqualified. It's by Stephen Furtick. And uh, he talks about that. I'll put a link on that. It's a really cool story. And, but... So I, I played with speaking on and off, but I had a lot of corporate responsibilities and I wanted to be, I wanted to do the right thing by the organization. So I would, I would dabble with speaking and I'd shut it down. And, and, you know, God kept tapping me on the shoulder, you know, and faith is a through line in what I do. It's, you know, there's a little bit of a line you walk in corporate America, mm-hmm. you know, with what you can share. And, uh, but it always shines through and people who, who feel it and know it, they see it. Yeah. And um, and I think we're called to bring bring the message to all the corners of the world. So my commitment in 2014, when this prompting became so so loud in my life, um, I spoke in Nashville for a group, and the CEO came up to me afterwards and he said, "I want to help you. Oh. What can I do? I think you've got something important to share with the world." And he introduced me to a speakers bureau, and from that day till now, my life's never been the same. And uh, it was 2014, on my knees, I said, all right, God, whatever doors you open, I'll walk through. This is where you want me to go. Where are we going? Yeah. And Eric, I didn't know what I just signed up for Mm. because the the doors opened and we've been faithful to walk through them. I don't know how we got through them, some of them, but we got through them and um, every day we just get up and we keep moving toward that vision. I don't have some big elaborate plan. I'm I'm a sales and marketing guy. I'm a sales guy that learned how to be a marketing guy, and I've never been able to implement a marketing plan in my own business because it's all been a tractor beam of just following the message, and it's been word of mouth. You know, in 2017, we did 107 gigs. We did 160 last year, and it just keeps taking me places from the C-suite to the front counter. Right, right. right. From construction to financial services from hospitality to housekeeping i mean it just it's just fascinating mm-hmm. the groups that i that i get to be in front of and what it says to me is it's a, it's lightning in, the, in a bottle and yeah. i'm just a steward of this message right now and i don't know why it was given to me but it was for now and uh hopefully when i'm done with it somebody will pick it up and and, and keep running with it because it, it's a universal message that touches so many parts of our life because we ignore certain roles in our lives when we're focused on another role when we're mm-hmm. focused on our career you know sometimes we let go of the things that we need to do as a dad or a mom or 
Sometimes we let go of the things that we need to do as a spouse. And the hero effect is really about being your best when it matters the most. Mm-hmm. And when does it matter the most? It matters the most right in this moment. That's and right. It matters most to the people that I'm with. And it's such a universal message. And I have people come up to me all the time after I speak, tears in their eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, and they tell me the story of their son or daughter. Yep. They tell me about their spouse. They tell me about their business. They mm-hmm. tell me about you know, where they're trying to take their organization. And, and that's the coolest thing for me because speaking should be about their story, not mine. Yeah. Mine is just a catalyst to get them to theirs, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. nobody, they're not going to care about my son as much as I do. No, that's right. But I want them thinking about their kids. Mm-hmm. I want them thinking about the, the fingerprints they're going to leave on this planet and the people that mm-hmm. they serve. You know, my best friend, when he died, my mentor, that not just changed my life, he saved my life. Mm-hmm. When David passed, he, he died at um, 64 years old, and I'll never forget, we were sitting on his patio in South Texas before he died. And he's a gruff sales guy, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I never saw him cry before that day. Yeah. And uh, he said, I'm scared. And I said, come on, man, you know where you're going. You don't have to be afraid yeah. to die. Yeah. And he looked at me with a very stern look that I had seen a lot over the years. And he looked at me and he said, son, I'm not afraid to die. But after 64 years on this planet, I'm scared to death I never lived. Mm. scared to death I was so busy chasing something on autopilot half the time coasting through life saying things like I've made it I've arrived I've paid my dues so busy chasing something that turns out was right in front of me the whole time but my biggest fear son is that after 64 years on this planet nobody will even know I was here Mm. and that broke my heart to go through your life your whole life and get to the end of it and think nobody will know I was here and I'm telling you that's that's why I have this burn Mm -hmm. Right, because people should not get to the end of their life wondering if anybody will know they were here. Mm-hmm. And I think if you are your best self, when it matters the most, sure. you won't have that question. Have that. Right. And the other thing is, when we get to the end of our life, they'll summarize it in one sentence, put it on that rock. I think we should decide now what they're going to put on the rock. Yeah. Right? Live that way. I mean, don't right. leave it to the people you leave behind. They'll get emotional. They'll mess it up. They'll put dumb <laughs> stuff on there. Yeah. Sing it. <laughs> You decide. I mean, we spend more time on our logo colors and our tagline for our business than we do the through line for our life. Our personal mission. Right. Yeah. I mean, if we decide, and and I've even taken it beyond that. I'm like, you know, certain words that we use fall on deaf ears. Mission, vision, purpose. Right. We have that in business. We put them in gold letters on the wall. It's really just marketing copy for a lot of companies. We want the world out there to think that's who we are. But what's our personal obsession? It's that obsession that gets you out of bed in the morning, you know. And people say, I mean, if you find your purpose, you'll never work a day in your life. No, 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 no. When I found my purpose, I'm working harder than I've ever worked in my whole life. But we say things that don't make sense. Think outside the box. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Find your purpose, you'll never work a day in your life. I contend if you find your purpose, you'll work harder than you've ever worked in your Mm -hmm. whole life, and you'll love every single minute of it, mostly. (laughs) Yeah. There's all Except for when you're climbing on an airplane for yeah. the fifth time this week. or You know what I mean? Yeah. People say, wow, you get paid to speak. And I'm like, no, I don't get paid to speak. I get paid to travel. <laughs> I'd stand on stage and do that part for free. Right. I get right. paid to miss flights and have to drive all night and be away from an airport and be away from yeah. family. And to, <laughs> exactly. You know, exactly. Um, so, yeah, that part of it's a grind. But, yeah. you know, when, you, when you're resolute about where you're headed, you just go where it takes you. Mm. What's exciting right now? Is there a particular project in, in your life or something that you're looking forward to right now? Well, we just re-released the Hero Effect. Cornerstone Leadership Institute picked it up. Uh, my friend David Cottrell, who wrote Monday Morning Leadership, um, 
he's a, a great friend and he, he uh, wants wanted to publish it under the cornerstone imprint so we re we rewrote my uh self-published version okay. and cleaned it up made it a better book and uh, we just relaunched the hero effect under that imprint and we're building out a, a full day workshop excellent we've got some okay. uh online stuff we want to do, some videos, we want to do culture in a box, mm -hmm. uh, you know, really create the, the kind of the hero culture. How do we create a culture of heroes at every level sure. of organization? Sure. And so we've got those on on, uh, on the drawing board, and we've also got a couple of books that we're, we're working on, a couple of yeah, keynotes. That's great. That's great. And, uh, yeah, so we just, we just, my commitment is just keep digging it out. Mm -hmm. You know, we uh, we want to do the hero effect for teachers, we do the hero effect for healthcare and for first responders, and love it. Just really love honor. It. Yeah. You know, we want to do a Patriot edition for our our uh, military men and women. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, always I like to end the show with a few bullet points here that are just some quick fun hits. Yeah. So we're gonna rattle through these together. Uh, I talk about fail failure a lot and how that how that plays in our lives. We talked about yeah. it today. So has there been a, a favorite failure of yours in the past that maybe has led to success? I know you've talked about a couple of already, but is there, so, is there one that you pull out and said, man, this was perfect. And this led, led to the road to where I'm at now or, you know, I think, you know, I'm going to go back to that kid that was living in his car and, I had already failed at that point. I'd let a lot of people down, and I, I mean, I, and, and to give you a little more context to that, I was a straight A student. I mean, mm -hmm. I was carrying a 4.0 grade point average. I was good in sports. I, I had everything going for me. And when when life got difficult, you know, the failure was a not going to my parents and having a conversation, asking for help, mm -hmm. and aligning myself with really bad people, and uh, making some really poor choices. And that failure ultimately leading to, to, I was sitting in my car, I packed everything I owned in my dad's Navy duffel bag, which wasn't a lot of stuff. Right. Right? But I remember I packed a, a cassette tape player, mm -hmm. cassette tape player. Now, some listeners don't even know what that is. but No, they don't. It's a cassette tape player. Was that? Was it? Yeah, exactly. That's what my exactly. son always says. Was that? Well, and I had my cassette tape, you know, <laughs> Foreigner Journey and, you know, Boston. But there was a cassette tape that ended up in my possession, and to this day I do not know where it came from. It was Earl Nightingale, The Strangest Secret. Mm. And I played that, and that big booming voice of Earl Nightingale said, you become what you think about all day long. And that was a moment in my life when I thought just for a minute that maybe I don't have to be this way for the rest of my life. Did it change overnight? No. I kept making mistake after mistake mm. after mistake because I hadn't separated myself from right. my environment, you know. My biggest failure was the environment that I had allowed to develop around me that I, you know, if I'm going to raise my hand and take responsibility that I created, mm -hmm. that was the biggest failure. And if, if I hadn't gone through that period of my life, I don't think I would have very much to offer people today. Mm -hmm. And I think it gives a lot of depth and texture to what comes out on stage. And mm -hmm. every path that I ended up going down, David, um, David's the reason I met my wife. My wife's the reason that Josh Brown exists in this world today. Yeah. Um, and Just being grateful for those, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. What about an absurd habit that maybe people don't know about, Kevin? Is there something funny that you want to share with well, us? Well, I'm OCD, first of all, man. I, I've got all kinds of weird habits. You know, I go to bed and I get up four or five more times, check the doors, make sure they're locked, make sure the alarm's set. 
all that stuff. I, I have a shoe fetish. I, I like shoes. I'm very obsessive compulsive. So okay. it serves me well in some areas of my life, and then there's some areas of my life it just makes my wife just roll her eyes and go, <laughs> dude, the doors are locked. <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah, the OCD spills out, and it ends up, I have some quirks. Yeah. What about, I think this one's very important. Uh, when you're feeling overwhelmed or maybe you're unfocused, is there a, is there a go-to that you have, whether that be meditation or some people like to get outside and walk? This I run. Uh, yeah, running has been a great love-hate relationship in my life, especially as I've gotten older. Mm-hmm. Uh, pounding the pavement at 51 feels different than it did when I was 45. But it's still, it's a way to free myself you know, when I'm dealing with it, when I'm wrestling, whether it's a business problem or, you know, maybe I'm, I'm trying to come up with some new content or I'm trying to find that gem, that nugget. What am I supposed to be delivering here? Uh, running helps. But I'll tell you what also helps is helping someone else solve a problem they're wrestling with. Okay. I'll call one of my buddies and uh, help them with whether it's a business problem, personal problem. Yeah. It's amazing what happens when you help somebody else solve a problem. Those creative energies start to flow in your own life. Yeah. A, it usually helps you diminish your problems. Mm-hmm. You know, when you immerse yourself in someone else's, you might realize how insignificant yours truly sure. are. Sure. You know, some of the things that we get wound around the axle about are pretty, mm-hmm. pretty lame sometimes. Yeah, but just, yeah. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and he was really wrestling with some branding stuff and some direction that he was trying to take his company. And you know, after a couple hours. You know, we'd had a great brainstorming session, and after that session, I went home, and it also, I, I couldn't turn it off. Mm-hmm. And so I focused it on some things that I was working on, some things that I was stuck on. And uh, it, you know, help helping other people. It's That's amazing. Dot, is. dot, dot, no strings attached. Yeah. Right. How do you define happiness? Uh, I think happiness can be elusive, and I, I think we can put a lot of pressure on that word, happiness. Uh, or contentment, I find my happiest moments are when I've exhausted myself pouring into others, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of like watching your kid around third base headed for home, and you know the throw's coming in, and you can see that he, he or she is going to slide under the tag and they're going to score. Mm-hmm. When you get lost in that moment, when you see somebody else succeed and do something that they didn't think they could do. And truly celebrate with them, right? Truly celebrate, yeah. And we, Eric, we, my wife and I have chosen to be very intentional this year about the time we take together. She's with me on this trip. Mm-hmm. And um, you can be busy and you can be stressed in work, but that that's not an excuse for not finding joy along the path. Mm-hmm. And having Lisa with me, having the opportunity to sit here with you, having to, yeah, I'm working, on this trip, but it doesn't feel like work. You know, hey, I'm at the Ritz Carlton. I'm, I'm hanging out <laughs> with you. I've got Lisa here, and I think we have to be really intentional about finding the joy in every step. Sure. My stepmother, I lost my mother when I was 26. My mom was killed by a drunk driver, and my dad remarried 20 plus years ago. And my stepmother is also one of my biggest heroes. She's had cancer four times. She's a cancer conqueror. And she's now battling Parkinson's disease. And I've never heard this woman complain one time mm-hmm. about anything that has been dished out to her in life. She finds joy in every single moment. We, we just had dinner with her the other night, and she has her new 
mobility scooter for the right. house that they painted right. in breast cancer survivor pink and you know there's racing stripes on it and she's you know there's a couple of dents in the refrigerator now but that's okay she has this freedom to move around mm-hmm. and she's just so happy to have this this mobility the things that we take for granted mm-hmm. to get up and go to the refrigerator to get up and go to the kitchen or the bathroom or wherever and she's just never complained about one thing and I know people that you know their back's a little sore when they get out of bed or you know, their legs are tired yeah, yeah. and, you and know, that's all you hear about. That's all you hear about. Yeah. Right? So I think it's about finding the joy, whether it's in the struggle, whether mm-hmm. it's in the work, whether it's in our stresses, there's joy all around us. Sure. If we'll live in this moment. Yeah. Right? It, that's right. It's so simple, but it it's is. so hard to execute. Right? Simple, but not easy. Simple, but not <laughs> easy, man. You know, if it, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Yeah. You know, I mean, if it was easy, we'd all be rich, good looking and, you know, and, and have perfect health, but it's not easy. It takes, you know, I, with faith, that's what a guy told me the other day, he said, everybody wants to be the noun, nobody wants to be the verb. Yeah. We all want to have it, but nobody wants to do the work to get mm-hmm. it. And I think it's just finding the joy and just choosing, choosing to be happy. So I don't know that anything makes me happy. The only things that make me happy are the things that I choose to let make me happy. Man, that's good. That's good. Well, the, the lastly, I just want to make sure that, that those that are interested can stop by and say hi yeah. to Kevin yeah. and follow you. So where are you most active? I'm all over the place, man. I'm on LinkedIn, okay. on Twitter, Facebook, and all my social media handles are on my uh, my website, kevinbrownspeaks.com. Yeah, we'll get that posted up. Okay. Yeah. Is there one in particular that you're more active on? If you I spend more time, it seems like, on LinkedIn and Twitter. Okay. Uh, Instagram, okay. I'm out there, too. You know, and, and I'm caught right in the middle, Eric. I mean, social media... I've resisted it for a long I was a holdout. I was a holdout until I was 50 years old before I got on Facebook and all that stuff. And so I, I love social media, but I don't understand it. So right. I have to have people help me. <laughs> so when I don't understand it, I have to go to my son or, or, or other folks in my life who know more about that stuff. But yeah, I'd love to hear from anybody that'd like to stop by and say, hey. Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you for spending yeah, some man. time today. My pleasure. Enjoy it. Was it. Awesome. Yeah, it thank was great. You. Thanks, Eric. Hey, it's Eric again. I want to thank you again for spending some time today. I really hope that you were inspired by Kevin's story. And again, like always, I will be including the links to any references we made throughout the show. There'll be a link to Kevin's book um, and, and how you can purchase that. I am three quarters of the way through it. It's easy to read. It's told in such a way that follows very closely to Kevin's conversation today on the show. Uh, Very engaging. Um, Kevin's a great storyteller, so really hope that you um, support him in this vision. Again, I'll include Kevin's social media links and other ways that you can get in touch with him. And as always, I'd be super grateful if you would subscribe to and share the Activate podcast on whatever podcast platform you use.